Well, we just prayed. The confession said it all, so we'll just start right in. A couple weeks ago, or a couple months ago, Shane brought me a CD series by Willie George on finances, and it was so good. And I listened to it, and I'm not always the best listener. Sometimes I have trouble sitting still long enough to listen to, but it got my attention, and I listened to it, and I really enjoyed it. And then a couple weeks after that, he brought me a CD series entitled The Ideal Family. And he handed it to me, and I thought, okay, Shane, what are you trying to say here? And I said something to him like, oh, yeah, you think we're the ideal family, right? And he didn't really answer me. So so I didn't know if I was going to listen to it or not, but I got intrigued, and I did it because I knew we weren't the ideal family. Maybe you think we are, but we're not the ideal family. And... um, I don't know how many people here are from ideal families. My guess is maybe not too many, but I started listening to this, and it was so good, and it was so relevant for today. And we see so many, our culture, our society, there are so many family issues all the time, more and more and more. And they're difficult. They're not always just easy situations. In fact, we were talking to Ron Albin a couple weeks ago, and he says, the problems I see today are so complex. They're even so different than the way, you know, when I grew up, and I tell Monroe stories, but when I was little, I just thought life was perfect. I just thought my family was wonderful. I thought Monroe was great. I just lived in this kind of idyllic world, and and the older I got, I realized my family was far from perfect, and Monroe hadn't arrived yet either, and and then I wondered, looking back, how I even got some of those ideas. It was kind of a fun and wild existence, but I got listening to this set of tapes by Willie George, and I didn't realize his background. I knew he didn't come from a Christian family, but I didn't realize how difficult his life was growing up, And, and he talks about the importance of family. God established the family before, really, before anything else. And the only thing that should come before our family is our our personal relationship with God. He established the family next after that, before the church. And it's very important. And no family is the same. And so, you know, the Bible should be our guideline, but we look through there and it doesn't just give A, B, C, D, this is how you do it in this situation. And so we're going to go through this, and, and like he said, we've got some people gone today, but we'll, I'll try to just kind of go with the flow, and then maybe we'll catch them up next week. So um, we understand the importance of the family. God fa- established the family second only in our relationship to him. And the family can be some of the biggest sources of conflict and heartache that you'll ever experience. And then the family can also be a great source of happiness and fulfillment. And we want it to be this, the, the latter part, but so often it is the former part. And, you know, I talked about how I thought my family was wonderful. And, but I could see, that, you know, through the years as I got older, things like my mom was struggling with. And my mom's family, our family was from Monroe for generations, but... When her parents got married, they moved to Kansas and started a homestead, and they had a bunch of kids, and my mom was the youngest, and when she was two, her mom died. And 
her dad sent her and the sister next oldest to her back to Monroe to be raised by the grandkids and said he'd come back after him and he never did. And he did a wonderful thing for him because the grandparents provided a better home than he did. And because I, you know, I've heard stories that he was abusive and my mom and my sister missed out on that. They were raised by wonderful Christian grandparents. But to a kid, you don't understand that. You're waiting all your life for your dad to come back and get you. And when I, by the time I came along, my folk, my mom was the youngest and they were older and, and, and then grandpa and his second wife, this is why he didn't come back after them because he married a second wife and had a bunch of kids and they didn't like her. She was kind of the evil stepmother. And, but when they, by the time I arrived and they'd come to visit, visit us, they were old and they'd mellowed and they were great. And they treated me wonderful and she made the best doll clothes and Barbie doll clothes. I'm, she was part Indian, she was from Oklahoma and she was kind of on the rough side, but he wasn't rough anymore. He wasn't, a, he was the sweetest old man, but see, I didn't see that. And so many times we don't see these things and these conflicts going on and and my mom and her sister dealt with that for years and there was always a lot of conflict and strife but it was kind of between Monroe and Kansas and so I avoided all of that but so we what I got listening to Willie George's this CD and I'm thinking okay he's gonna tell us what the ideal family should we be we should come to church and we should be measure up we should just be perfect and every and that isn't what he talked about. He talked about how to deal with these imperfections in our life. And I think we all, we all need that. And he's, we'll start out with the Bible. The Bible's our guideline. We should always learn from the Bible. That's what it's there for. We need to study the Word of God. So we'll start at the beginning. And we look, go through the Bible and we look. And it starts with Adam and Eve. And everything was perfect. They were in the garden. And then Eve chose her own will over God's will. And basically just down to the, Adam chose Eve over God. And that, that's just as simply put as it could be. But they, they chose something over God. And everything went downhill from there. And it didn't take long that we began to see degeneration in the family. Because their sons, Cain and Abel, obviously were far from perfect. Already they had gone down to the pits. And then we come and, and, and we see Abraham and his family. And if you watch that Bible series, you know, that started last week on TV, that was interesting. And it talked, it spent a lot of time last week on Abraham and his family. And we understand, you know, he was the father of faith. And God blessed Abraham. He was blessed in the city and blessed in the country. He's had not the tail, but my goodness, he had family problems. We're experiencing his family problems today. You know, Ishmael was and Isaac were at odds, and Hagar, Hagar and Sarah were at odds forever, and they're still fighting. That's the whole issue over in Palestine and the Gaza Strip and Israel. There's a conflict there, and it all stemmed from this family conflict that came out of Abraham's family. Then we go on and we have Isaac and Rebekah. And they have Esau and Jacob. And there was conflict with Esau and Jacob. And Jacob had, it was so, the conflict was so bad, 
Jacob had to go away. And then he went and lived with his uncle who stole from him for 20 years. So, you know, don't complain. You don't have it as rough as some of these guys did. And Laban steals from him for 20, 20 years. And we go on and we have David. And David was a, God, a man after God's own heart. And he loved God and, and God loved him. And he had a wonderful relationship with God. But he had trouble with his family. From, you know, he just didn't seem to understand how to have a good, solid family relation. It started with his brothers. There was a lot of sibling rivalry. There was a lot of conflict there. Then he had problem with his wives, plural, his children. And there was just constant conflict. We had Absalom that wanted to kill him, raised up a rebellion and wanted to kill him. And, and it just goes on and on. And then we enter the New Testament. And God sends Jesus. And we think sometimes everything was going to be perfect now. God sent Jesus. And we look at Jesus, and when he's 12 years old, his folks took him to Jerusalem and left him for three days. You know, who, who do we have that's 12 years? How old's Caleb? 11. Caleb's 11. Can you imagine taking him to Washington, D.C. and dumping him off for three days? They would have you in the slammer, man. They would neglect you. He'd be in fire. You'd never see him again, let alone if we just took him to Lincoln and dropped him off for three days. But that's what his folks did. They just dumped him, didn't even realize he was gone. And we think Jesus had everything perfect. And then he grew up and he started preaching and teaching and he had brothers and sisters that thought he was nuts. You know, they didn't receive what he was preaching and teaching. Probably they were so sick of him getting favored by his mother. You know, they probably, well, well she always took his part anyway. He was always Mr. Perfect. Can you imagine growing up with that perfect sibling in your household? You know, Caleb, you know you've had to grow up with Micah. <laughs> and no, there was, you know, and it talks about Jesus understands our infirmities because he faced them all. So, you know, he, we realize he was put in a family situation that wasn't perfect. His dad died young, and, and it, it couldn't have been easy back then. And so we go through all these, and we look at all these we things that there are not many pictures of the ideal family in the Bible. And so you say, well, then how do we go on from there? You know, what, what, what are we gaining from that? Well, one thing is we have to understand the culture back then. The culture, we don't realize. Maybe we have, you know, bits and pieces and little pictures, but they were pretty much a heathen people. They were, there were pagan religions. We don't even understand, you know, the pagan religions. You know, they offered their children as sacrifices. And, and, you know, they would come in, like, if they didn't like the boys, they thought, you know, we've heard that. They didn't like the kids, and they didn't want to be a threat to them. The, the kings would just come in and kill off all the young kids. And, and I remember growing up, there was a, camp over by Fullerton, Nebraska. It was a 4-H camp, and one day at the camp they'd walk you out to this bluff. And up on this bluff is apparently where, if you understand Nebraska history and the Pawnees and, and Chief Peter Lashara and, and all of them, one of the young young man that was supposed to be a tribe. It's been so long, I don't remember all the particulars, but he was supposed to be a chief, and he wanted to marry this girl from another tribe, and they didn't want to, so they went up to this bluff at Fullerton, Nebraska, and 
dove off it and killed themselves because you know that's what they did and and I think there was supposed to be a sacrifice I think this girl was supposed to be sacrificed over by Genoa in fact where it's supposed to be if you go south of Genoa there's a cemetery there and that's where all this stuff was going on and we don't stop and think that was just a few hundred years ago and all these things go on and 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 so they were dealing with these things and Jesus was dealing with these pagan religions and it, it just had gotten bad. And then they had that Greek, Greek philosophy that was prevalent at the time. And the Greeks, you know, they were pretty culturally far along, but they were pretty much perverts, you know. They were perverts in our standard, and there's a lot of perverts today. They were perverts. The only thing they didn't really go along with was incest, but pretty much anything else went. And, you know... And so the other thing was it was a very male-dominated society. The women and children at that period of time were just treated, for the most part, by these pagan religions just a little bit higher than dogs. And so this is the world that Jesus came into. And he started talking about things. About You go through the, the Gospels and he talks about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is like this and the kingdom of God is like that. And, and he's starting to introduce the idea of what it's like in heaven and trying to bring that to earth. In fact, if you, you pray the Lord's Prayer, our Father, heart in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So he's trying to bring the, perf the perfection of heaven to earth. He's trying to bring the ideal to the earth. And so he starts talking about things. And, you know, he, the, the example of the, the children, he's out ministering. And in this male-dominated society, they think the only ones that can come to Jesus are the men. And so when the kids come to him and they want them to bless him, the, the disciples, his own disciples said, no, get him out of here. And Jesus brought a revelation right there. He says, no, let the little children come to me. He began to put children and women on equal grounds. And, and maybe the husband is the head of the household, but we all come to God equally. Men, women, it doesn't matter how old you are. And, and he began to bring these new ideas and these revelations. And no wonder there were people that were ticked off. There are people, there are churches we could go to in America and you'd say, you know, that the women can come to God equally and it'd still tick off some of these guys. But, but on spiritually, we're on equal grounds. Children, are, children can come to Jesus, you know, and they didn't have that understanding back then. So he's dealing with all these things. He's trying to bring these ideas in heaven. It talks, you know, you've heard accounts of heaven, the children up there and, and you know, it's, it's just, it's wonderful. And we can't even almost comprehend those things. Well, Jesus is you know, trying to bring these things to earth. And he's setting a standard. He's setting a standard as the kingdom of God is. That's the way it is. What's what we want here? And he's bringing all these things. And I think, you know, so many times people come to church and they get born again and they just think everything's going to be perfect 
and everything's going to be wonderful. And then when they real, the realization comes that they aren't, there is no perfect church. They come here and somebody doesn't shake their hand right or somebody doesn't smile at them right, then that, that's all wrong. And, but see, Jesus came into this world and he had to, the understanding it wasn't perfect. But he was starting to set standards and ideas. And it took years. And, and finally, the disciples got a hold of it. And then as you go through the New Testament, they're starting to teach things about family. And then Paul gets this revelation from God. And he's teaching things about family and how we treat each other. And, you know, they had these funny standards in the Old Testament. They, had, <clears throat> they couldn't reach their standards, so they just made up things. Like the divorce. How was divorce handled? And Jesus dealt with that. Back then they said, I, you know, if it gets so bad and you don't like it, just hand her a bill of divorce. And that's done. You can just dump her. But the wife couldn't dump him no matter how bad he was. And Jesus addresses that. And he talks about, you know, you say you can just do that. And he talks about adultery and how uh, they think of adultery. And, and they want to stone this woman because she committed adultery. But they didn't bring the man. They weren't interested in truth. You know, they, it takes two to commit adultery, but all they were interested in was stoning the woman. And Jesus is starting to say, these things aren't right. Let's look at this. And, and so he comes to earth and he's trying to bring the standard in, and he realizes. And, and we don't understand what it's like. Have you ever watched the movie Slumdog Millionaire? Did anybody ever see that movie? How awful those, we don't understand the culture that kids are raised in these other, in these other worlds, in these non-culture, non-Christian cultures. And then there's the movie Taken, and now Taken 2 is out. And they thought it was a great movie. I hated that movie because it, what it was talking about, it was dealing with. And maybe it does open our eyes. We don't even, we live in this nice little Midwest local, things like that don't happen, but they steal people and they tra human trafficking and they take them over to these countries and, and women are treated, the conditions are horrible and we don't realize that here. And, and you say, well, maybe we do. You don't realize how I was brought up, you know, and, and we don't understand some of the things that are going on just here in Norfolk. And then just a few months ago, there was a girl in Afghanistan, if you listen to the news, she just wanted to get an education, and, and they shot her in the face. Who was it, the Taliban or some radical group? They just shot her. They wanted to get rid of her and kill her because she wanted an education. And, and so we have all these, and, and you realize it's the Christian, they're the non-Christian cultures, people that have not embraced Christianity. And so, so they don't understand these things. And we live in a Christian culture. And so things are elevated, but they're still not perfect. And you hear all these things. You hear these, you know, all these, these non-Christian, these agnostics and atheists now that are becoming more and more prevalent in this country. And they don't understand Christianity. And they'll say things. I've heard just recently where they talked about, well, the Bible isn't that great. Christianity condones slavery. Just read the Bible. Christianity condones slavery. I've heard them talking about this, some of these liberal organizations. The Bible does not condone Christianity. But, or, uh, the Bible doesn't condone slavery, but it deals with slavery. 
If God condoned slavery, he would not have sent Moses to free the Israel, Israelite, Israeli slaves out of Egypt. He, it took a period of time, but he got them out and they were freed. And, but there are, slavery was a common cultural thing back in those days. And so he talks about, they talk about in the New Testament, slaves, obey your masters. And I suppose they're reading this and they think that the Bible condones Christianity. It's just teaching them how to deal with that. If you're in that situation, how do you deal with that situation? It doesn't say it's all right. It just says we're trying to get you to the best that you can be in that situation. And so we need to realize and, and understand that there are a lot of dumb ideas out there. And, and there are these ever-growing stupid ideas. We talk about, about that. And then you hear this. This is a common one in the church, and particularly some more real conservative denominations. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Now, that's scriptural. But that's talking about order in the home. That's helping so things that can run efficiently and orderly. And, and, but it's not talking about um, anything to do with men beat your wives, lord it over them, be harsh and selfish jerks. That's not what it's talking about. It's talking about wives submit to your husbands as to the Lord. And, and if, you know, I've seen these situations. We've dealt with so many situations here, and I can't comprehend this. I can't comprehend a man coming in and molesting his daughters. That's beyond my comprehension. But what's worse than that to me is the wife that knows it and lets it go on. I, man, I just don't get that. And they'll do it under the vices that, oh, I'm supposed to be submissive to my husband. You're supposed to be submissive to God first. And if your husband's that whacked up, you better do something about it. Okay? And, and because that's going to affect those kids forever. And that, that's not submission. You know, it's, it's to submit to God first. There's nothing godly in that kind of stuff. You don't have to put up with that. But we need to in, endeavor to, to walk in order. Another stupid thing I've seen through the years is Christian families. And, and their hearts are in the right places. But they want to protect and shelter their children so much that they never let them out and see the real world. And, and this is the idea that's wrong. You cannot isolate your children. Isolation doesn't produce innocence, and we've talked about that before. This world has negative influences. Sin dwells in the flesh of mankind. And you can lock somebody in a room for 25 years, and, and sin is still going to pop up somewhere. You cannot isolate somebody to perfection. So we can't be so naive as, as to think that we can just, you know, hide our kids away in a closet somewhere and they're going to grow up perfect. You can't close your eyes and bury your head to these realities in the earth. Your kids are going to be tempted by the devil. They're going to be tempted by the world, and we can't hide from that. I've seen Christian parents that are so legalistic. They live in the don't do this and the don't do that world. And those kids grow up to be one of two things. 
either they become so arrogant and full of pride and they think that they live by this little set of picky, nitpicky rules and that they're so far above everybody else that they just can't even relate to anyone. Or they go into such a state of rebellion they just can't wait to get away and get out of there and then never come back to the church. And so we have these two sides and these two ways and somewhere we have to find that balance. We have to find that middle ground. Because you can go so far in a ditch one way, you can go so far in the ditch the other way. You can just let them do anything. Well, if I'm not supposed to be nitpicky, do I just let them go and do anything? Wait till they're 25 and then see if they want to serve God. And we got to find some middle ground somewhere. How do we deal with these things? And, and so we need to understand Jesus then and what he began to come and do. And we need to see some guidelines and training and, and not just let them run wild, but, but before, sometimes before you have kids, you have these ideal fantasies. Is we're going to have this perfect family. And once you have kids, reality sets in. Amen. Everybody can say amen. Once you have kids, reality sets in. He was strong-willed from the day he was born. I mean, it didn't have to be trained into him. He was strong-willed. And I can remember when Micah was a little baby, and Sandy Belt says, that is the most opinionated kid I have ever seen in my life. He's a baby, and he is so opinionated. He knew immediately, yes or no, yay or nay. There was no in-betweens. And so these things as we, you know, we, so many people come into a church and they think, oh, we've got to be perfect. And this, the preacher's perfect. And they expect me to be perfect. And I don't want to do helps ministry because they expect me to be perfect and I can't measure up. And see, the thing is, Jesus came into an imperfect world he came into an imperfect family, and he brought these perfect ideas, but he didn't just leave us there. He started to, to bring grace into the world, and we've got to understand grace. And, and there's these churches now, these new groups, and they'll preach, preach grace, 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 and basically what it is is just a, a license to go out and sin. And grace isn't a license to go out and sin. Grace is far beyond that. And it's like Jesus, when, when they wanted to stone the woman for committing adultery, and he said, yeah, you know, she's done it. He didn't deny the fact that she was, was a harlot. She was living like that. But then he says, but you that's never sinned, cast the first stone. He brought grace to the situation. He's, you know, he brought something there. In our culture, we enjoy the benefits. It's taken years and years for some of these ideas to take place. And we want this perfect kid, this perfect household, this perfect family. And, and you know, we're, I hate to let you down, but we're never going to attain that. And we look at other people's lives. If you ever looked at other families and think, oh, my gosh, they're so perfect. Or how did you get your kid to be like that? And I like reading history. I like reading biographies. I'm reading one about George Washington right now. What a great leader he was. Man, he, 
just, it, you look back and it's, he was such a good leader and he did so many things and he sacrificed and we don't realize what a rotten family he came out of. His dad died when he was young. His mom was a selfish tyrant. I never realized that he and his mom did not get along. He did not like her. He respected her. He treated her honorably. But she just treated him like crap. And he just tolerated her most of his life. And the one I got a kick out of was, was Harry Truman, you know, from the 40s. And, and, and Harry struggled. And Harry had trouble with businesses. And he went bankrupt. And, and Harry's mother-in-law didn't like him. Even after he became president, she just flat out said he was never good enough for her daughter, Bess. She just didn't like the guy. And you think, oh, you know, we have these, he's president of the United States and his mother-in-law still doesn't like him. And then I read about Ronald Reagan. And, you know, his dad was an alcoholic and went from job to job. And they were poor because his dad just went from job to job and problem to problem. And when he was about 12 years old, his, his winter, and he came home and his dad was passed out in the backyard and and Ronald had to drag his dad into the house and try to get him sobered up and take care of him and it talked about how he was so upset he went to his mother and his mother got him this book and it was written by a Christian author and in the back of the book it told a person how to get born again and I believe that was at the point from what I've read where Ronald Reagan got born again. And we don't always see that in his life. You know, he had problems with wives. He had a lot of problems with his kids. But God's grace was sufficient for him. And if God's grace can be sufficient for George Washington and Harry Truman and Ronald Reagan, God's grace can be sufficient for us. And they just kept working through the problems. So we have these standards in this culture, we enjoy the benefits of these standards. We don't have, well, we, we do have some human sacrifice sometimes. We have some of these things that are, you're hearing about. But as a whole in this area, the standards that we enjoy, the benefits of these standards that Jesus brought, it took years and years, but women and children live at a higher standard in this country than people have ever lived. And... The problem is today we're allowing, in the United States, we're allowing some of these standards to be lowered again. The institution of marriage is being attacked in this nation. If you listen to the news like never before, Christianity is being attacked. And when it, and when it allows, the, when that happens, it allows ideals and standards to be lowered. When standards are lowered, the first ones that suffer our children and women. And, and we don't understand that the unemployment rate here is, is pretty low. But you go into the inner cities and there are children living in poverty like we haven't seen. You know, I can tell the difference from the kids that graduated in Caleb's class to the kids in Micah's class. And, and there are good families out there, but there are more and more families that are struggling all the time. And, and so the New Testament basically taught us four things that will elevate the family. 
And they're, they're general, and, and you've heard them before. If you want to open your Bibles to Ephesians, let's go to Ephesians chapter 6. This is every kid's favorite scripture. 6.1, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for it is right. And a lot of parents teach that. But it goes on to say that if you honor your father and mother, as in the first commandment, it will be well with you and you may live long on the earth. The thing I noticed with George Washington and Harry Truman and Ronald Reagan, they may not have been perfect and they didn't get along with their mothers and their mother-in-laws and, and some of these situations, but they always treated their parents honorably. George Washington always went back and made sure his mother was taken care of, regardless of how she treated him. And, and so we need to understand that. And, and kids, you realize that your parents deal with you. They offer a lot of grace to you. You need to offer some grace to your parents because they aren't perfect. Now go back to Ephesians chapter 5. Here's the next one. Ephesians chapter 5. These are things that Paul introduced into the world at that time. Ephesians chapter 5, 22 through 37. It says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is head of the wife, as also as Christ is head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their husbands in everything. It, Mike does this um, marriage ceremony. It was written by Kenneth Copeland, and it uses this portion of scripture. And a lot of times in these weddings that he does, I sit in the back, and he gets to this part, and I watch the congregation. And there's a lot of women, and they get real stiff at that point, <laughs> you know, because we've we've dealt with things, and and. I don't have to submit to him. I don't need to do this. I, you know, and we think of, like I said, we think of submission in wrong terms. It is just not blind obedience, okay? And we think of submission as blind obedience. It is not. But it's just order in the household. And then it goes on. <clears throat> Therefore, as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their husbands and everything, and then a lot of guys like to stop right there, close the Bible, and call it good. But it goes on, and it says, Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church. Now, husbands, how many here can say that your wives have always been perfectly submitted to you? But husbands, <laughs> thank you. You better say that now. How many husbands can say that you've loved your wife perfectly and you've never messed up. See, when Shane handed me that set, of, uh, that set of CDs, all these things are rushing through my mind. You know, it's like that. What they say when you're about to die and you have that flash that runs through your head, all these things, and I think, we, we haven't gotten there yet. Years, several years ago, they did this study, and they said, if you said a young husband and wife down and have them talk about a controversy and see how they handle it and communicate it. You can tell whether they're going to get divorced or not. And so we listened, and we should have been divorced 31 years ago. 
you know, we do not argue properly. We, we don't argue properly. See, I, li I like to manage my time, so I figure why all the niceties? When I'm mad, we're just going to cut to the core, we're going to the bottom line, we're going to start hacking at each other immediately and get it over with. Why draw it out? Sandy got on, Sandy got on my case years ago because I told her the word, the scripture says, says don't let the sun go down on your wrath. So I'm going to start my argument at 6 o'clock in the morning. And I got all day to go at it. And Sandy told me once she didn't think that was right. It wasn't exactly what it meant. But, you know, we have to work these things out. So we haven't attained these goals. These are standards set in the Bible, but we haven't attained them. And then it goes on and it says, fathers, don't provoke your children. It doesn't say mothers, can, I can provoke you all I want, guys. It doesn't say I can't, don't have to. It says, fathers, don't provoke your children. And he talked about that. He says, a father's words. My mom was the mentor of the family. She was just very patient and kind and she trained and taught. And my dad didn't say much. He really didn't have a teaching gift. But the couple things he told me, man, they stuck with me. I used to have a temper, used to. And I'd get, when I was young, I'd get mad. If something didn't go out my way, I'm quitting. I wanted to join 4-H. Didn't like the leader, wanted to quit. Got mad at the Girl Scout leader, quit. Coach wasn't coaching right. Finally, my dad says, listen, you're never going to get anywhere if you just get mad and quit all the time. He didn't tell me much, but man, that song, Calm, I, you just can't quit all the time. And then the other thing he told me was, was you know, you get on the horse and he bucks you off, you got to get back on. You got to get up, dust your, those are the two lessons I remember my dad talking to me. Because a, a dad's words, you may not say as much, but your words count. But you have to realize, guys, that your words can crush also. You need to not be so harsh. There's a time to be harsh, but be careful that you don't provoke your children. I can tell the boys things, and Mike can come in, and he ticks them off faster than I do. It, it's just, it's that way. So guys, be careful. You can be, you know, you need to treat the, guy, the boys to be men, but don't crush their spirits. It can be easy to crush somebody's spirit. Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like this and it's like that. And he's trying to bring the ideal of the kingdom to heaven, the kingdom of heaven to earth. But we've got to understand this. He lived on earth and he realizes the reality of life on earth. He knows and understands that you and I live in this real world and we don't always hit the ideal. You know, we, we talked about helps ministry last week. And we have these ideals. And we have these standards. And, and there's things that we aren't going to give on. We aren't going to allow child molesters in children's church. But there are going to be other standards 
you're probably not going to hit perfectly. And we have to learn that balance between the ideal and grace. This is where grace comes in, and we have to understand grace isn't just a license to sin. Jesus introduced the ideals of the kingdom of heaven, but at the same time, he introduced forgiveness, and he introduced grace. Grace is just not overlooking sin. Grace goes beyond that. Grace is... is trying to get the the real aim of grace is to bring you and me to a place where we desire to overcome sin let that sink in the real true aim of grace is to get us to the place where we desire to overcome sin and where we want to be better and allow the grace of God to work in our lives. The help of God to overcome our shortcomings in our lives. That's what grace is. And as a parent, I think you understand that. The first time your kid tries to walk and he fails, you don't just boot him out of the house and say, you're a loser. You pick him up, you dust him off, and send him out again. And that's the way God deals with us. We're not going to have a perfect family we're not going to be full of perfect individuals in the family and there are people here you have I know we've been around long enough we know we've struggled with areas in your life and in your family and it's caused heartache and some of you come from backgrounds and, and they're far from perfect and you think how can I ever attain this ideal it'll never happen so why try that's what grace is for. Grace wants us to come as far as we can come, to, to aim for the standard, to shoot for the bullseye. And we, when we go as far as we can go, then we need to learn how to allow grace to kick in, and he'll pull us further. And it isn't going to happen all in one shot. It's going to be a step-by-step-by-step thing. When Jesus started to introduce these ideals, they have it within the last 200 years. It took that long before these things really started to kick in. It takes a process of time, and that's one thing the Father understands, and He has a lot of. The aim of grace is to bring you and me to a place where we desire to overcome sin. And that's why, if we live in our families so much with our kids, you can't do this and you can't do that and we're going to lock you away. They need to experience failure and deal with consequences. And we help get them beyond that. And we learn from that situation. That's what the, the, the family is for, to help us grow. In Philippians 2.13, I'll just read it to you. It's really good. It says, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. And the thing is, we have a lot of people out there, and they're trying to will themselves into perfection. And it's never going to happen. We can't just will ourselves into perfection. It takes God in our life. 
And yet we can't expect God to do it all. We've got to meet him halfway and we've got to do some things for ourselves. But only with God can we rise above the lower standard. Fleshly works alone can't do it. And you get people that are so legalistic. They get into the church and they are so legalistic. And they're trying to do it on their own. And you get, what happens is when they get so legalistic, they get so puffed up in pride. And then you don't let God in and let him work in your life. Now this is, this is the issue. Are we willing to embrace the ideal? You know, we've had people come in, I can't meet that ideal. I'll never get there. Are you willing to embrace the ideal of how the family, how God wants your family to be, how God wants you to be, and realize you're probably never going to make it till you get to heaven. I hate to tell you, your family, you, yourself personally, me, our family, we're never going to reach that perfect, heavenly, ideal state as long as we live here on earth. Are you ready to deal with that and not allow yourself to lower the standard? What I mean by that... Um, the, our education system in the United States is struggling right now. And, and it's, it's pretty good here in Norfolk where there's always things we can fix. But some of these inner cities, I mean, these kids aren't even learning to read and write. And California has a real problem, especially some of the inner city schools, Oakland, Los Angeles. So now what they've, what, just a few weeks ago, what they've talked about doing is we're just not meeting this standard so what we're going to do is lower our standards. Instead of a 94 to 100 being an A, we're going to bring the A to 85 to 94 will be the A. Instead of 35 or 36 being the perfect ACT score, we're going to lower it down. And so the standard keeps lowering. And we have to be careful we don't do that. We don't want to keep lowering our standards. We want to keep the standard here. But we've got to be careful when we miss the standard. If we don't hit perfection every time, if you don't take the ACT test and ace it, life will go on. Okay? You can keep shooting for that score, but life will go on. And we need to realize it's important we don't lower the ideal or lower our standard. But it's also important that we don't set our standards so high that we just give up and quit and quit trying. Our fleshly attempts at perfectionism just make people proud, obnoxious, and legalistic. But if we don't shoot for a high standard, it just makes us discouraged lethargic, and it brings the standard of living for all people down. When we settle for less, we all suffer for it. Society suffers. Society is suffering right now because we've allowed, we're allowing standards to go lower and lower. And we need to bring these standards back to the home, back to the church. David, we talked about David, he was a man after God's own heart. And he's in the Old Testament. And David loved God. But we all know David screwed up. And David saw Bathsheba. And she was Uriah's wife. But he lusted for her. 
And when Uriah was out to war, he went and he got her pregnant. And he didn't realize it. And she came and let him know. And he said, that's all right, we can fix this. And so he had him bring Uriah back back home and thinking that he would go and, and, and they would get together and he'd think it was his child. Okay, we all know the story. But Uriah was a man of high ideals. And he said, if my, my fellow soldiers are out in the field, I'm not going to take this privilege. I'm going to hold myself to that standard. And he didn't sleep with her. And so that created a problem for David. And so he says, okay, we can fix this. And he had him send Uriah, a good man, an honest man, a godly man, out to the field, and he got killed. And David suffered the consequences for it. The child died. And God, will, God brought the truth to David. He sent a prophet, and the prophet confronted David. We can't deny the truth about things. But what did David do? David repented. And with the help of God, he went on. And it's, it blows our mind. It blows my mind to think then God allowed David and Bathsheba to have another son. And the son was Solomon. And Solomon was the one that was in the direct line. Jesus was in his line, in his bloodline. God was so merciful and so full of grace that regardless of how awful that was what David did, he realized that he lived in human conditions. But because he repented and allowed God to work in his life, the grace of God kicked in and God's plan could be carried out on the earth. The one thing we can't do, and is what so many people do, is we miss it. We sin. And we try to hide it. We try to ignore it. We say this never happened. My kid is perfect. I remember a story about a principal coming to a teacher and his kid had failed a great a class or a test. And the principal came to the teacher and tried to manipulate her and force her into raising that kid's grade. And, and we have those temptations. We want to make it all right for that kid, that family. But that doesn't allow grace to work in our lives. When you mess up, don't run from God, run to God. When your kids mess up, kids don't run away from home and mom and dad, run to them. See, I talk about when I was a kid, I got in a lot of trouble. Not wicked, evil trouble. I just thought life should be fun, and a lot of people didn't think the things I did were that much fun. I thought they were, but I, what I would do is I'd get in trouble. I didn't realize I was doing this, but when I'd get in trouble, I'd call home, and I'd ask for Dad. And my mom said one time, you know, you realize every time you call home and you ask for your dad, I know you're in trouble because when you're in trouble, you go to him because you think he can relate and understand because he used to get in a lot of trouble. So I, and I realized that in 1976, this weekend, I, we were going to Platte College and we went down to the state basketball tournament. And we did not behave ourselves well. We were bad. And 
we were coming home and we dropped a couple of our rowdy friends off in Lee and Creston and we were taking the shortcut home and some of you have heard the story. It had rained like this weekend and we came flying over a hill, ran through a stop sign and hit a soft shoulder and the car flew around and I wasn't driving, my friend was, it flew up in the air and came down and you can call it luck or you can call it the grace and mercy of God. We came down on top of the car, missed a steel culvert by a foot, and landed on the only drift of snow left in the whole county. It was like landing on a cloud. Didn't even dent in the roof. Flipped it over, landed on the four tires in the middle of a cornfield. We both got out, crawled up the hill, went to the farmer's house, she called first because it was her car. Her folks were used to it because she had two older brothers. And then I called my folks. And I said, Mom, Mom answered. I said, hey, can I talk to Dad? <laughs> because I knew my dad had been there and done that time after time after time. But that's what we've got to understand. Jesus didn't sin, but he lived down here in imperfect situations, with imperfect families, and he understands. And if we just will go to him, and I fessed up to my dad, I said, Dad, we really screwed up this time. Would you come get us? And I'll tell the rest of the story next week. There's, there's more. But grace, you know, so many of those old German dads were kind of gruff, but my family, I think this is why I thought they were wonderful. They always treated their kids so good. Grace is to pull us out, and her folks got a tow truck, and they pulled us out, and that's what grace does. Grace sends the tow truck. So when we mess up, when your kids mess up, when you mess up in the family, he can bring the tow truck. Jesus sends the tow truck and he'll bring you out so that you can overcome. That's what grace is for. You remember a few times ago when Mike Keyes was here. I don't remember what he was, was, was ministering on. But he talked about a, a conversation he had with God and how he messed up and and he said something to the effect of, God, why do you continue to put up with me? And God's reply was, because you try. Remember that? Because you try. That's what grace wants us to do. Grace just wants us to try. Grace understands when you mess up. But grace isn't grace if you just quit. Grace is when you get up, dust yourself off, and go again with the help of God. Difficult situations are going to arise in your personal life, in your family. You can't beat yourselves up over it all the time. It is the condition of mankind. But don't just quit. Just get up and do the best you can and trust God. And that's when God's grace kicks in. That's when you go on again. That's what my dad told me. When the pony bucks you off, pick yourself up, dust yourself off, and go again until you get the pony 
to where he's going to obey you instead of you doing what he's throwing you off to do. So God's grace, realize God's grace is for you. God's grace is for your family. Don't quit and call on God. He's there just like my dad. He understands when you mess up, just call him. Fess up. That's part of the problem. People don't fess up. They make excuses. Your kids are going to mess up. Pick them up. Dust them off. If it takes 150 times, pick them up, dust them off. And now next week, what we're going to go on to is how do I do that? How do we implement these things? Some of these things, you know, we have these ideals, but if we don't know how to get there. But next week, we will discuss how to implement God's grace in our life.